The year is 1861, and America is on the grips of a bloody civil war that will change it forever. In Richmond, the capital of the new Confederate states, Southern Bells and ladies are sewing uniforms, throwing fundraising gallows, and nursing injured soldiers, all with the support of young female slaves. They can't go into the battlefield, but they're doing the best they can to support their husbands, brothers, sweethearts, and fathers. But in the middle of all this Southern charity is one woman who separates herself from the pack, choosing to visit the Union prisoners in Libby Prison, rather than the injured Confederates in the hospitals. She takes them books, food, and anything else that comfort them, despite the fact that as a wealthy white Southerner, she is the natural enemy of the Yankee. But she's told the warden she's just doing the right thing, the Christian thing, the Southern thing. She says, To succeed, we must begin with charity, to the thankless, the unworthy. And because she looks the part, expensive clothes, gentle accent, black servants, no one thinks to question her charity. That is their first mistake, because this woman is not like her peers. She is not a loyal Southerner, nor is she pro-slavery. Her name is Elizabeth Van Lu, and, by the end of the war, Ulysses S. Grant will call her the source of the most valuable information received from Richmond during the war. Elizabeth Van Lu was born into a wealthy, slave-owning Virginia family in 1818. Their mansion was the center of social gatherings, and they were at the heart of Richmond's upper class. Traditionally, that would set Elizabeth up for a privileged marriage and family among the Southern elite. But it was not to be. She never married, and her loyalty to the Union made her an enemy of her peers. When she was young, Elizabeth's parents sent her north to Philadelphia for her education, where she started questioning the world she'd been born into, particularly the institution of slavery. By the time she returned home to Richmond, she was a staunch abolitionist, and, as soon as she could, she organized for all the family slaves to be freed. Unsurprisingly, when the war came, she could not support the Confederacy. From the outset, it's remarkable that she publicly made the decision to care for Union prisoners instead of injured Confederates. But her story gets more unusual and interesting the closer you look. Because before she made deliveries to the prisoners, she hid coded messages in the books she lent them. These messages were hidden by a cipher of her own design and included everything from questions about prison conditions to intelligence about escape routes. We do not know exactly how many escapes Elizabeth Van Lu facilitated under the cover of charity, but the number has to be big. She had a network of safe houses, including her own three-story mansion, where soldiers could stay after their escape. She also provided them with false papers and uniforms to enable them to make it safely back into Union territory. Several times during the war, Elizabeth would have Union men hidden in a secret room on the top level of her house at the same time as she hosted Confederate generals, soldiers, and supporters downstairs. On one occasion, she was visited by a pair of detectives who suspected her involvement in the prison breaks, and despite the fact she had two prisoners upstairs. She was able to distract the detectives with food, drink, and conversation until they left, assuming her innocent. There is also evidence that her house was one of the stations on the Underground Railroad, helping escaped slaves make the journey north. Former slaves were key collaborators in Elizabeth's spy work. Her household staff of freed slaves doubled as a spy ring. They could go places and talk to people she could not, and were her main source of information. They also carried contraband, 
and baskets or clothing items when the rest of Richmond just thought they were running errands. One of the most important of these people was a young woman named Mary Jane Browser. Mary Jane had been born one of the Van Loo's slaves, but was freed as a child. Elizabeth had paid for her to be educated in the North and supported her through four years of missionary work in Africa. When the war started, Mary Jane was living in Elizabeth's house as a servant, having been illegally snuck back into the city. Under Virginian law, freed slaves who'd been educated weren't allowed back in the state. So Elizabeth lied to those around her, claiming Mary Jane was still a slave. This lie would become instrumental during the war. In 1861, Elizabeth saw an advertisement in the local newspaper and, in it, a powerful opportunity for espionage. Verena Davis, wife of the President of the Confederate States of America, Jefferson Davis, was seeking qualified help, and Elizabeth knew just the person. It was common in the 1800s for wealthy women to lend each other slaves, so no one thought it was suspicious when Elizabeth put on one of her best walking dresses and walked the short distance to the White House of the Confederacy to pay a call on the most politically powerful woman in the South. After making small talk about the war and Verena's family, Elizabeth got to the point. She knew Verena needed help around the house, and she was more than happy to lend her one of her personal slaves, a young woman named Mary Jane. It's important to know that Verena Davis was something of an outsider too, despite her rank. She was too northern, too dark, and too brash for Southern society, and not a popular woman among her peers. Because of this, she was lonely. So when a classy, charismatic socialite like Elizabeth Van Lu called on her, offering to bring her into the Southern practice of slave lending, she must have been almost relieved. Tasked with taking Verena's dresses to the menders, which was one of her most common jobs, she would secretly open its hem or waistband and hide a message inside. Then she'd take it to a local seamstress, loyal to the Union and Elizabeth. The seamstress would remove the message, put it aside for Elizabeth, and mend the dress before sending it back to the White House, where Verena would be none the wiser. Mary Jane was one of the most interesting members of Elizabeth's spy network, but she was not the only one, by virtue of her privilege and capital. Elizabeth won the loyalty of free African-Americans, poor immigrant business owners, and war department clerks unconvinced by the Confederacy. Using her extensive network, she protected prisoners, gathered information about troop numbers and movements, and smuggled information, goods, and people into the Union territory. Some of this information she sent to the heroes of the Union, Generals Benjamin Butler and Ulysses S. Grant. In fact, it was because of information from Elizabeth that Grant's troops won the last battle of the Civil War. Between 1861 and 1865, Elizabeth Van Lu was the Union's eyes and ears in Richmond and doubtless saved the lives of hundreds of soldiers. She is one of the only major female spies of the Civil War to never spend time in prison. However, that does not mean the war did not take its toll on her. Until her death, she was ostracized by Richmond society and plagued by poverty after investing all of her money in her spy work and the freedom of her family's slaves. Her house fell into disrepair, and her diary and behavior show that she struggled with mental health and paranoia in the later years of the war and loneliness afterwards. The restored Union did attempt to reward her service. During Grant's presidency, he made her postmaster of Richmond, the highest government position a woman could hold, and one with a healthy salary. But when Grant's presidency ended, so did the support as future presidents attempted to move on from the war. 
When she died in 1900, Elizabeth was alone, broke, and broken. Her gravestone was paid for by charity donations gathered by abolitionists and reads, she risked everything that was dear to her, friends, fortune, comfort, health, life itself, all for the one absorbing desire of her heart that slavery be abolished and the union preserved. Elizabeth Van Loo defied her class and gender to pull off some of the biggest espionage coups of war, freeing countless soldiers, planting a spy in the Confederate White House, orchestrating a vast spy ring in the heart of the Confederacy, and transmitting valuable military information to one of the most important generals in American history. However, ironically, it was because of her class and gender that she was able to do it all. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to Season 2 of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. The 19th century didn't think much of women. It did not think them threatening or dangerous or at all smart. Southern women in particular were seen as only wives, mothers, and ornaments. All of that made them trustworthy. Despite the reality of female espionage, men had a very hard time believing that women were capable of subterfuge, so they were unlikely to suspect them. On one occasion, Elizabeth herself wrote to Benjamin Butler, attempting to convince him to stop letting Confederate women cross the border between Maryland and Virginia because they do a great deal of harm by hiding messages, money, and medicine in their skirts and updos. Further, much of Elizabeth's power came from her control over traditionally feminine domestic spaces. Because she ran her house and staff, she could hide prisoners upstairs and play the hostess downstairs, use her home as a base of espionage operations, and send her servants on spy missions disguised as domestic errands. That was why it wasn't suspicious for her to visit the prison or to lend Mary Jane to the Davises. She was just doing what Southern women did, extending charity and hospitality to soldiers and each other. 
And it goes without saying that most of Elizabeth's success would have been impossible without the daring of all the former slaves and poor whites she brought into her spy ring, particularly Mary Jane Bowser. Ultimately, it was the quiet former slave that ran the greatest risks, walking right into the equivalent of the Oval Office of the Confederacy. Together, these two women changed the Civil War and the future of America. Elizabeth Van Lu managed to join the inner circles of both Civil War presidents at once, and Mary Jane ran a one-woman operation almost unrivaled in the history of our country. As they each exploited their roles in society and the prejudices attached to them, these two women were able to help accomplish what Van Lu's tombstone called the one absorbing desire of her heart, the abolition of slavery and the preservation of the Union.